Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Well, hello, Real Life Church. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. Today, I want to introduce you to someone who listened to God. And he's a bit of a weirdo, but perhaps asking God to speak is a weird thing. Uh, his name is Elijah, and he was one of the greatest prophets of the Hebrew Scriptures. A prophet is a person who hears from God, sometimes in dramatic and powerful ways, and then can tell the people, here's what God is doing, here's what God is saying, here's what we should expect. Those are the prophets. And Elijah was one of the greatest ones, one of the, the most connected to God. He had this significant relationship with God in which he could hear things that God said directly to him and said, go take this to the kings. And so Elijah was often responsible for anointing the kings over Israel. Today, we're going to look a little bit at the story of Elijah in a particular way that he heard from God. As we continue in this series of teachings called Listening to God, this is a story that pops out uh, as distinct and important. Uh, take a minute and pray with me. Lord, I thank you that you long to speak to us, that uh, you want us listening for you. So open our hearts and our ears and our minds Give us the courage to be humble and to surrender ourselves to you, to open our lives to you and to let you in. Jesus, in the quiet of our hearts, speak. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So today we're in a chapter of uh, the Bible in a book called First Kings. First Kings tells about the stories of kings like Solomon and prophets like Elijah. We're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to see this remarkable moment in the life of Elijah where he has just been in a fight with the prophets who worshiped a false god named Baal. And a lot of the prophets of Baal have died. And now the powers that be are threatening to go and kill Elijah. And so this is 1 Kings chapter 9 at verse 1. Now Ahab who's the king, told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. You ever come to that place in life where it feels like you are so wrecked that you are absolutely ready to give up? maybe even at the point of suicidal ideation, where you are praying to God, just let me die, it's not worth going any further. You ever at a point where you feel like the powers that be are all against you, even the, the government is trying to get you, even trying to wipe you out, and you don't want to run anymore, and you don't want to fight anymore, you just want to quit. Can anybody relate to that? 
That's where Elijah is. One of the things I like most about the Bible are those, those moments in the Bible, not just where it informs us, although that's great, not just where it inspires us, although that's great, but where it commiserates with us, where the Bible says to us, not just I can fix it, but I know what you're going through. This is a moment in the life of Elijah in which the Bible shows us God knows what we're going through. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Uh, the universal cure to everything, a snack and a nap. God sees that Elijah is in this desperate place. And the first thing that God addresses is Elijah's physical well-being. That's not an accident. Our souls and our bodies are intertwined. Our spiritual life and our phys physical life are interlinked. You can't, fully separate the, you can't fully separate the two. To, to any atheist out there, I would say you are not a body without a soul. But to any religious person out there, I would say, you are not just a ghost in a machine, a spirit in a shell that can be thrown away. Your, your body and your spiritual life are intertwined. You can't pull the two apart. And so I, when our physical bodies are well taken care of, we, we lend themselves to the care of our spiritual bodies. And when we care for our, our spiritual lives, they lend themselves to the care of our physical lives. You can literally damage your spirit by damaging your body. You can eat, drink, and undersleep yourself into a, a spiritually wrecked place, into depression. Likewise, you can fail to care for your spiritual life in a way that depresses you and stresses you out and fills you with anxiety that literally wears down on your physical life. The two go hand in hand. And so when Elijah comes to this place where he is absolutely desperate, where he feels like life isn't worth living anymore, God answers, first, take a nap. Have a snack. You need to recuperate first before we go forward. This coming January, I'm going to call our church to a 21-day fast, a 21-day period where we give up something in our lives that is a distraction from God, maybe caffeine or sugar or social media or TV, whatever it is, something that distracts us, something that fills our daily life with temporary satisfactions, and we're going to cut that out for 21 days, to commit ourselves to prayer so that God can break through in our lives in new ways. Fasting has been a spiritual discipline since the beginning of the church, a, a spiritual discipline that Jesus talks about, that Christians have used to open themselves up to listening to God and to seeing God's activity in their lives. So in January, we're going to practice the physical discipline of fasting so as to open ourselves spiritually. If you want to know more about that, starting, starting today, Sunday, uh, November 7th, we're going to have a three-week uh, seminar on Sunday evenings, 7 p.m. at Zoom, on fasting. How to fast, why fasting works, what fasting does. And if you want to know about that, there's already a, a good crowd of people signed up, but go to reallife.la prayer and register for our fasting class so we can send you a Zoom link so you can take part in it the next three, three Sundays in a row. Uh, and that'll prepare us for our big fast in January. All that to say, our physical lives and our spiritual lives are intertwined. You can't pull the two apart. And so when Elijah is at this place of desperation, God starts by caring for him physically. Take a nap, have a snack. 
Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The geography here is a little bit uh, interesting. Uh, uh, Elijah has gone from Mount Carmel, which is the mountain on which the Baal worshipers gather to worship their false god. And Elijah has just gone in and confronted them, and many of them have died for their idolatry. God, uh, Elijah has gone and confronted them on their own turf. And now that his life is threatened, he retreats to his own turf, to Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, the mountain on which God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. Elijah retreats to that place where God has spoken before, and he goes to recuperate and to pray. Because some of us go to God uh, wanting the things that, are, uh, that we feel like are best for us. When we approach the mountain of God, God begins with a question. What are you doing here? Because our motives matter. Our motives count. Sometimes we go to God like he's a divine slot machine to take care of all of our needs. Sometimes we go to God like he's a, a, a general who's here to wipe out our enemies. And we go to God just looking for what we need taken care of. As we approach God's mountain, God addresses us with the question, what are you here for? Because our motives for approaching God shape what we're willing to hear from God. The question for you and I this morning is, what are you doing here? Why are you in church? Why are you worshiping? Why are you paying attention to God? Is there something that you're after? Because there's only one answer that God wants from us. God asks us, what are you doing here? And what God is waiting for is the answer, I'm looking for you. What do you want as you come here? God, I want more of you. God wants us looking to the giver and not just his gifts. We can go to church for all kinds of reasons. We can come to prayer for any number of reasons. I need help with my marriage. I need help with my finances. I need help with my, my health. And God will take us on any of those terms. But he's going to ask us, what are you doing here? Because he wants us to turn and to reconsider who he is and what he actually has to offer. The, the deepest and most precious thing God has to offer you and I is a relationship with him. He wants us to love the giver and not just the gifts. So Elijah goes to God in absolute desperation. Verse 10 uh, Elijah replies, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Uh, that's a little bit dramatic, and it turns out that it's not true. But God welcomes us in all of our confusions and lets us name our sufferings to him. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain." In the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
there's going to be this incredible transformative experience in which the presence of God passes in front of Elijah. The same thing happened to Moses. This is not a metaphor. This is a literal occurrence of God in some way appearing in front of these faithful men who are listening for God. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Okay, now check this out. An earthquake at its epicenter is about 230 decibels. The sound that comes out of there can rip through your eardrums, literally. An exploding volcano is about 190 decibels, still just a deafening noise. A gunshot is about 140 decibels. A chainsaw is 120. Your alarm clock is about 90. Notice your alarm clock is really, really close to a chainsaw. That's why you feel that way in the morning. 90 decibels is your alarm clock. Casual conversation like this is about 60 decibels. And a whisper is about 30. A lot of us go to God looking for the God of the earthquake, looking for a God of power to rip through our enemies and tear this world apart and straighten everything out. But sometimes, God is the God of a whisper. We want God to take over the world and to, to dominate everything that's wrong and to set people straight and to, to yell at them so that they understand, so that they get their, their, their heads out of the clouds and they pay attention to reality. We want a God who will yell at the world. But God is sometimes the God of the whisper. God will then ask Elijah the same question he asked the first time. Elijah, what are you doing here? Because once we've experienced the presence of God, we are transformed. And God is checking with Elijah to see if his motives have changed. Elijah tells the same sob story. I'm the only one left and all the other people have turned away and nobody sees the truth but me and I'm all alone and I just want to die. And God says, you're, you're not alone. I'm going to send you out on a mission. You have a purpose. I have a plan for you. And there are 7,000 people I have saved who have not worshipped false gods. I have a plan for you, and you're not alone. That's the message that comes in the whisper after we experience the transforming presence of our God. Many of us, just want a God who will yell at our enemies and conquer the world and take it over and make everything right. Christians have done this throughout history, and it has not always gone well for us. In about the year 1096 AD, a group of French and German peasants set out to reclaim Jerusalem, to take it back by force from the Muslims who had conquered it. 30,000 of them left, having been riled up by the local priests to go out on a crusade. They reclaimed the city of Nicaea, and then they went and retook the biblical city of Antioch in what is described by historians as an orgy of killing. They stayed there for six months. 
when they left, the original 30,000 had been whittled down to 15,000 because so many of them had died in the fighting. They arrived at an unprepared Jerusalem and killed what is perhaps tens of thousands of residents of the city. To reclaim that city in the name of the one who said, love your enemy. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek as well. Do not resist the evil person. If someone sues you for your shirt, give them your cloak as well. But they were illiterate peasants. And all they knew was what the priests had told them. And they were in search of the God of the earthquake. The God who would dominate this world. And take over and make everything right. Because otherwise, we're vulnerable and afraid. We as Christians have done this over and over again in history. Repeatedly, this has been our way. Uh, in the late 1400s, Spanish conquerors arrived on the coast of the Americas. They would get off their ships and read to the Native Americans that they encountered there a letter from the king of uh, Spain. And this is how the letter went. This is the actual letter that the Spanish read to the Native Americans when they arrived on the coast. In the name of King Ferdinand and his daughter, Queen of Castile, Conquerors of barbarian nations, that's you. We notify you as best we can, because we know you don't speak Spanish, that the, our Lord God eternal created heaven and earth, and a man and a woman from whom we all descend for all times and all over the world. In the 5,000 years since the creation of the multitude, these generations caused men to divide and establish kingdoms in various parts of the world among whom God chose St. Peter as the leader of mankind, regardless of their law or sect or belief. He seated St. Peter in Rome as the best place from which to rule the world. But he allowed him to establish his seed in all parts of the world and to rule all people, whether they're Christians or Moors or Jews or Gentiles or anyone else. He was named Pope, which means admirable and greatest father governor of all men. Those who lived at that time obeyed St. Peter as Lord and Superior King of the universe. And so did their descendants obey his successors and so on to the end of time. The late Pope gave these islands and mainland of the ocean and the contents hereof to the above mentioned King and Queen as is certified in writing and you may see the documents if you should so desire. They couldn't read. They couldn't speak Spanish. They didn't even know what was being said to them. If you want to read the documents and review the fact that we now own this, go ahead. Christians throughout history have looked for the God of the earthquake to dominate and take over and make everything right and put everything where it belongs. And God is often the God of the whisper. Here's what actually happens when we encounter Jesus and we listen for his voice. We go looking for God on his mountain. Only this time the mountain is Calvary. The hill on which Jesus was crucified. And as we approach the mountain of God, Jesus says to us, what are you doing here? And we go at Jesus with the same sob story that Elijah did. I'm the only one left. And nobody else understands how it is. And everybody's trying to get me. And all the other sheep need to wake up because I'm the only one who sees the world right. And I'm alone. And I just want to die. 
And Jesus goes, okay, first of all, take a nap. And then I want you to encounter my presence. I want you to walk with me. I want you to see who I am. I want you to listen to my teachings and learn my teachings and pass my teachings on to others. I want you to memorize my teachings. I want this deep in your heart. Look at how I lived and what I lived for. Let my presence pass by you and watch who I am. We need to be deeply immersed in the life and teachings of Jesus. We need to read the scriptures daily, especially the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We need to dwell on the teachings of our Lord. When we rise up in the morning and when we go to bed at night, when we sit at home with our children and when we walk along the road, we need to be immersed in the presence of Jesus. And as we do that, Jesus will then say to us again, Okay, now, now that you know me, now that you've been with me, now that you've listened to me, what are you doing here? And we'll probably come back with the same story. I'm still alone. I'm glad you're with me, but nobody else understands. Everybody's out to get me. I just want to die. And Jesus will say, I have a plan for you, and you're not alone. I have a, a mission for your life that's better than anything that you would do yourself. And from it is going to come so much meaning and so much love. And you're not alone. I'm going to surround you with a community of people who believe in me. It's called the church. And you're going to go about my mission together. And it will not come in an earthquake. It will come in a whisper. I have a plan for you. And you're not alone. I remember one of the first times I was listening for God and I heard God speak to me. At the beginning of the series, in the first week of the series, a few weeks ago, I talked to you about praying. And I began by telling you about a time that I climbed up a mountain to pray that God would speak to me. And I heard nothing and I went down sad. But sometime after that, I was on a mission trip in Mexico with a group of students group of high school students, we had gone down to build houses for families in need who didn't have houses. And at night, we were sleeping in an orphanage that took us in and let us sleep on their cold stone floor in our sleeping bags. And there was a moment where I was laying down to go to bed, and I looked at all the high school students scattered around this patio. Everybody's kind of settling in for the night after a hard day working out in the Mexican sun. And I prayed, Jesus, how do you want me to serve these people? And what I was looking for was a checklist. I wanted a list of things that I should do. Do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. And if you do all those things, you'll be a success. That's what I wanted. I wanted a checklist that I could go through and prove that I was worthy. I wanted to, to get a commandment from God so that when I was done, God could say, dun dun dun, this is my servant Jim. Look at how amazing he is. Trumpet is 110 decibels, kind of like your alarm clock. Look at how amazing he is. And instead, what I got was, actually, Jim, this is going to be more about me than about you. What God said to me in that moment was, just be overwhelmed by me. What do you want me to do to serve these people? Just, just be overwhelmed by me. 
And I had the deep suspicion that that was God because that was not what I was looking for. And it's not what I would have come up with. Here's what I want us to do this week. As we go about the business of of listening to God, there's four things. One, you're going to have to carve out time for this. And it's, it's not a short period of time. It's like a Sabbath day. You're going to need to make time to, to listen to God. Two, take a nap first. Three, immerse yourselves in the scriptures. Go back and read 1 Kings 19 again. Read the gospels. Read the story of Jesus' life and reflect on who he was. Meditate on what he taught. And then fourthly, stop and listen. Listen for a voice that sounds like the voice of Jesus. He's not going to contradict himself or turn into someone else. His voice is always a voice of love for you. I have a plan for you, and you're not alone. Take time this week and just listen for the voice of Jesus. If I can be a pastor of a church filled with people who are listening to God... That is absolutely all I need. That's your only homework this week. You don't have to do anything else. If you won't do this, then I have failed. But if you'll do it, God has told me he has a plan for me, and I will not do it alone. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that you want to speak, and I thank you that you calm our most aggressive desires for control, and instead you speak to us in a whisper about your plans and your desires, your character and your nature and your will for us. Help us to let go of everything we grab hold of and instead to take hold of you. Bless us and speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at Real Life, we uh, here at Real Life we celebrate uh, communion together. Um, in so doing, we remember the meal that Jesus celebrated with his followers uh, right at the end. He gathered around this table on what was their Independence Day to say, "I'm going to give you a new independence in me." The bread and the wine that he shared became symbols of his death for us on the cross. When we believe that he died for us on the cross, everything that would stand between us and the voice of God is taken away. All we have to do is believe. And so, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and giving thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, broken for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Each time you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. And so we eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Jesus' death for us on the cross until he comes again. This is the table of God for the people of God. Receive the elements when you're ready. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life.
God bless and have a wonderful day.